Well, let's bow our head for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the beautiful music that stirs our soul. And Father, we just want to thank you for the words that were just read, that Jesus intercedes for us forever. Uh, and we need an intercessor. And so, Father, we thank you for um, our church family here. We pray for those who are visiting in other places or who couldn't be here yet today. We do pray for our sister churches in the area that we may do a, a greater work for thee before time is up. So, Father, now we just want to leave this service in your hands, asking you to be honored and uplifted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. Well, you ever thought of Jesus as your prayer partner? Wow, that he does take our prayers, and that's what we're going to study today. And uh, so, how do we go here? There we go. Okay. And this is our key text. Wherefore he is able. It doesn't say we're able. It says he's able. Wherefore he is able also to save us to the what? To the uttermost that come unto God by him, which is through prayer, isn't it? Seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now prayer is really us communicating with God. We speak to God, we listen to God, we enjoy his presence. Uh, we pray to Jesus because he is our advocate. And we pray to him, but we don't pray to a human being because there's no middleman between you and Jesus. But Jesus actually is our intercessor because we need an intercessor between us and the Father. Now there's nobody between you and Jesus because he's your advocate. But he's also our intercessor, the one who stands in the gap, who will actually take our prayers, as we'll see, and he purifies them, and he presents them to the Father. This is part of what we're going to see. Jesus is your prayer partner. Okay? Now, let me go back to that last sentence here. Jesus has to take them and... Place our prayers with his merits. Because we have what? We have no merits for our sins to ascend up to heaven. So Jesus has the merits. He's the one with the sinless life that can beautify our prayer. Okay? So, let's look at this next one. We pray to the Father through Jesus because he's our advocate, because he's our intercessor. And our prayers ascend to the heavenly sanctuary, but our prayers are not what? They're not spotless. We're still a work in progress, aren't we? But Jesus must receive, purify our prayers, then present them to the fathers. Look at this passage from First Selected Messages 344. He holds before the Father the censor of his own merit, in which there's not a taint of earthly corruption. He gathers into his incense the prayers, the praise, and the confessions of his people. And with these, he puts his own spotless righteousness. Then, perfumed with the merits of Christ's propitiation, the incense comes up before God the Father, 
holy and entirely acceptable. Then gracious answers are returned. It's a beautiful relationship that Jesus is our prayer partner. And because we're a work in progress and we're not quite spotless, but he is, he takes that and he mingles our prayers, our confessions with his own merits, his own righteousness, and then he's able to present them to the Father. Okay? As we acknowledge, as we acknowledge before God, this is such a beautiful statement. As we acknowledge before God our appreciation of Christ's merits, fragrance is given to our intercession. Oh, who could value this great mercy and love? As we approach God through the virtue of Christ's merit, we are clothed with his priestly vestments. I want you to think about that for a moment. He places us close by his side, encircling us with his human arm, while with his divine arm, he grasps the throne of the infinite. He puts his merit as sweet incense and a censer in our hands in order to encourage our petition. This is all about prayer. As we pray, as Jesus is our prayer partner, he takes us with his loving human arm because he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. But yet without sin, with his infinite divine arm, he hangs on to that throne of grace. But as he embraces us and holds our hand as we pray, we are able to put on his priestly vestments. Amen. This is how you and I become part of the priesthood of believers. Because what are we supposed to be doing as part of the priesthood of believers? Interceding for people. But you intercede for people with Jesus, who is able. And it's all based on his merits, not ours. So every prayer is not based on any good that we've done. It's all 100% based on his merits and what he has done. And then as we realize this is what our high priest is doing, whoever intercedes for us, that when we intercede for people, we're not alone. We become part of the priesthood of believers only as we do pray in his merits. Does that make sense? Why is it important that Jesus presents our prayers? It's a fair question. Number one, Jesus is what? He's sinless. We need someone sinless to take our prayers and present them to the Father. That's number one. Number two, Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus would know what is altogether pleasing to the Father. We can pray and learn to pray what we believe is the most pleasing to the Father. But because Jesus is one with the Father, he would know even better how to take those prayers and make them so special to the Father. Number three, Jesus is passionate about his Father's good pleasure, honor, and glory. Way more than we are. One of the reasons he came here was his passion to protect the name of his Father. Right? Wow, and then Jesus is 100% loyal and loving to his Father. So when Jesus takes our prayers, which are not spotless, he purifies them with his passion and his love and his loyalty to the Father, 
present him in the most perfect way that would be the most pleasing to the Father. Does that make you want to pray more? Absolutely to pray more. Because you want to have those vestments of the priesthood of all believers on. Now, did you know that Jesus is not the only one who takes our prayers? Isn't that, well, the Holy Spirit, but look at the angels here. This is out of the book of Revelation, chapter 5. And when he had taken the book, this is the Lamb. When he had taken the book, the four beasts, which are angelic beings, and the 20 elders fell down before the Lamb, every one of them, uh, of them, harps and golden vials full of odors, these, these incense, which is the... So they even take our prayers. It's not just Jesus taking our prayers. But I want you to notice what, they, what the, these angelic beings do with our prayers. And they sung a new song. They take our prayers and make a song out of them to sing to God. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus purifies them, presents them to the Father, but they sing a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by the blood of, um, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, we shall reign upon the earth. Now the four living creatures haven't been redeemed, but they're singing a song based on the prayers of the saints who are saying that they are what? We're redeemed. And you've saved us by your blood. This is telling us how to pray beautifully. And again, it's not a matter of just trying to come up with a formula. It's about your relationship with Jesus that it brings springs forth from you how you want to praise him, how he died for you, how he's making you a king and a priest, even here to do and further his kingdom, and how he's even prepared a place for us in the the earth made new. So they take, look at this other, this is again an angel, and another angel. Now this is in chapter 8. Chapter 8 begins with the seven angels, and each one of them has a, a trumpet. So this isn't about the seven angels, each which have the trumpet. It says, there's a what? It's another angel. Not one of the seven. Here's another angel. Came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the what? The prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints and sent it up before God out of the angel's hand. Now there are some people who say this is talking about Jesus. And others say, no, it's, it's another angel. I don't think it's a salvational issue, which one you're, you, you pick here. But what's beautiful is we already know that Jesus takes our prayers, presents them to the, to the Father. But we also know that angels take our prayers. They make beautiful songs out of them to present them to the Father as well. And to the Lamb, by the way. Singing to the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? And so when we pray, we want to pray from our hearts. We don't really want to look for a formula. We just want to know God better. You see? And the better we know Him, the better we really understand the power of prayer. Okay? Listen, this is a beautiful statement. Let the families, the individual Christian, and the churches bear in mind that they are closely allied to heaven. What draws, what, what connects us to heaven? Jesus does, but let's go on. The Lord has a special interest in his church, militant here below. The angels who offer the smoke 
of the fragrant incense are for the praying saints. Then let the evening prayers in every family rise steadily to heaven in the cool sunset hour, speaking before God in our behalf of the merits of the blood of a crucified and risen Savior. Notice this. Morning and evening, the heavenly, the heavenly what? Universe, the universe, behold how many? Every household that prays. And the angel with the incense represents the blood of the atonement, finds access to God. One of the reasons we're still here isn't because we don't have enough printing presses or radio stations. Ultimately, why are we still here? We don't pray enough. Because prayer is our connection to heaven. And we need to study. But study without prayer only makes us more knowledgeable. But it's prayer that places us closer to the throne of God. This is our communication. And imagine how happy the angels are when we pray because they want to sing what? These new songs to God. Wow. And the the sanctuary service actually demonstrated everything we're talking about. In the evening and morning service, here you see the incense of the altar of incense ascending up over the veil into the presence of who? Presence of God in the most holy place, right? But while this was happening, what's happening out of the camp every evening and morning? They're praying. So as they pray, this incense is ascending up into the presence of God. So the sanctuary service was preaching everything I've already said, if rightly taught. The incense ascending with the prayers of Israel represents the merit and intercessions of Christ, his perfect righteousness, which through faith is imputed to his people, and which can alone make the worship of sinful beings acceptable to God. They united in silent prayer with their faces towards the holy place. Thus their, thus their petitions ascended with a cloud of incense, while faith laid hold upon the merits of the promised Savior prefigured by the atoning sacrifice. So let me go back to this picture. The incense that's rising up, what does that represent? Prayer, but Christ's merits. Our prayers are ascending with the merits of Christ who intercedes for us, right? So they had this belief in this Messiah to come whom their prayers only ascend into the presence of God because... They've already made a sacrifice representing what? A Messiah to come. A Savior to come. They had not seen the Messiah, but it all starts with them accepting the Messiah. And then they pray, and the acceptance of the Messiah and his merits is what goes up with their prayers with this incense based upon what he's done. He's the one. It's what he's done that makes this aroma so pleasing to the Father. It's not my words that are most pleasing. It's what Jesus has done. And therefore, it's my acceptance of what Jesus has done. There's no salvation by words. 
This is all us praising what he's done for us and is doing. How does Jesus save us to the uttermost? It says here, wherefore, he's able to, to what? Now, save is the same would be like the word salvation, right? Save us to the uttermost that come unto God by him, which is by prayer, right? Seeing he ever maketh, liveth to make intercession for them. Well, uttermost means complete deliverance, right? I mean, this is complete salvation. But how complete is it? What does it include? Well, first of all, he liberates us from guilt. Because that's where the gospel begins, right? You are going to be saved to the uttermost, first and foremost, by being forgiven for what you've done. And now you're no burdened, no longer burdened by guilt, because he's going to save you to the uttermost, which means he's going to take your guilt away. He's forgiving you. And you stand before him as if you what? You never sinned. You're clean. But he saves us to the uttermost, including that he empowers us now to live victoriously. And we have a name for being liberated from guilt. It's what? Justification. And we have a word to talk about being uh, empowered to live a victorious life, and that's the word sanctification. But you see, it's not just about him utterly saving us to the uttermost here. To save us to the uttermost, he must also deliver us from eternal death. Right? It's not just about living here and being free from sin. It's about living in a new earth where there is no more sin. And there's no more death. That is being saved to the uttermost from sin. Yes, we still haven't been glorified yet. With his gentle arm, we read about this, he embraces us. With his mighty divine arm, he connects us to the throne of God. Now notice this. Did Jesus ever quit as a human? When he was here, was he ever in any situation, did he quit? Wow. So in our flesh, our human flesh, our fallen human flesh, he never, ever quit. Therefore, it's only logical that as a high priest who intercedes for us, whoever liveth to intercede for us, means that he also never, he's never going to quit. He will never quit on you. He hasn't quit yet, and he never will. So, Jesus finished his work on earth, is that right? If he finished his work on earth, is it likely that he's going to finish his work? That's just logical. I'm just using logic here. That's logical. And this is why Jesus is the author and the, the finisher of our faith. So the issue isn't with Jesus. The issue is with us. Jesus is not a quitter. He's a finisher. And that means your heavenly prayer partner is a finisher. And this is why Paul talks about how we can come boldly to the throne of grace. As long as everything you're praying for is based upon his will and his merits, you can pray big, not small. He's a finisher. He's an author of all that's good. And if you want all that's good, he'll never quit. He'll make sure that you what? 
You get it, but you've got to receive it. And we need to be praying. We need that connection with him. Does that make sense? Amen. Jesus is always available because he liveth ever to make intercession. There's not a time where he's not interceding for us. And he's always what? He's always able. This is, this is the Son of God who created what? Everything. Who sustains it? Who sustains it? He does. So he's not only always available, he's all, he's all sustainable. He is always able. Therefore, if Jesus is always available and always able, then we should always be, we need to make ourselves available to God. That's the issue. But you know, the devil's going to get you to be so busy that you don't find a lot of time to be available to the one who's always available for you. Is this right? And he's going to try to put you in situations where you're going to try to be the one who's able. But it's he that's able. And this is really the importance of prayer, is prayer is an expression on my part that I'm not able. Because if I was able... I wouldn't have to pray. But I'm not able. He is. And he's always available. So the issue is, how often do I want to avail myself to him who's able? How much do I really want this new life? Is that a fair question? Because if I really want this new life in Christ, and he's always available, and he's always able then the only issue here is my availability to him. That's logical. And this is why we get verses like this in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice how often? Pray what? Because if you pray without ceasing, that means you're always available to him who's always available and able. That's the victory, my friends. That's the connection. For this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. Okay. And this is why we give thanks for everything because, not because we have merits, not because we're able, but because he is. All things are possible. Notice how this Jesus says, with who? With God all things are possible because he's, he's always available and he's always able. Paul would write, I can do all things through Christ, my intercessor, because he's always available, he's always able. Jesus is able, Jesus is enough, Jesus is always available. And the key is, we need to make ourselves more and more available to God in our communion with God. Fair statement? Oops. Nazareth. Listen to this statement. And when he, Jesus, was come into his own country, which is Nazareth, he taught them. He taught them all kinds of truths, right? But he did not many mighty works there because of their... To Nazareth was Jesus available? In Nazareth was Jesus able? So what went wrong? 
they had unbelief concerning Jesus, which means that they didn't avail themselves to Jesus. Right? And because they didn't make, avail themselves to Jesus, he couldn't do things for them that he wanted to do. What he wanted to do and was capable of doing. But he was there. And he was able. But they didn't believe in him. And so he didn't do mighty works then. Notice this, this prayer and transfiguration. Notice what the passage says. They came to pass about eight days after these sayings. He took Peter and John and James, and he went up a mountain to do what? And notice the next sentence. And as he prayed, what happened? Isn't that, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Now what I'm saying, what I'm going to suggest to you, as you make yourself available in prayer to God, your continents will change. You'll change. He changed as he prayed. It's why he even went up to the mount, was to what? To pray. And when you pray to God and you ask God to protect you or to lead you, do you feel better? And if you do it more, will you feel better still? Will it change your thoughts and your continence? The more we pray, the more we change. Fair statement? So he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He has three disciples with him, which left nine. Okay? And they were doing some work, but there's one thing they couldn't do. This man had a son who had an evil spirit, and the nine disciples couldn't cast him out. So let's pick up the story here. So the man sees Jesus. He's coming down with the three disciples. And he says, I spake to thy disciples, the nine, and that they should cast him, this evil spirit, out, out of his son. And they what? They couldn't do it. And so when he's saying this, he's basically saying to Jesus, your disciples can't, but can you? Notice how he says this. The father said what? What's that first little word? That's a huge word. Now he's saying this to the son of God who creates the universe. Right? Sustains the universe. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And so Jesus came back with the perfect words. Listen to what Jesus is saying here. It's not a matter of if I can do this. It has nothing to do with if I can do it. I created the universe. The issue is if thou canst believe. That's the issue. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If you believe in God, all things are possible. That's a big if. Because a lot of people don't believe God loves them. A lot of people don't think God's going to help. And so they don't pray. They just take it all in their own hands. But if we believe God was not only in this work, but he's the lead. He's the one that makes it happen. Our part is to believe and to pray. Right? And to keep moving forward. As if this work's just going to grow. 
because he's in charge. And we want God to continue to do many great works because, because we believe. Get rid of unbelief. God is for you. God is for you. And so the man prayed, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief, which was a great comeback, wasn't it? That was an appropriate response. So why couldn't they cast him out? Why couldn't the nine disciples? Jesus said, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Okay, so this is the common theme, prayer, isn't it? Now notice this statement in Desire of Ages 431. Their unbelief that shut them out from deeper sympathy with Christ and the carelessness with which they regarded the sacred work committed to them had caused their failure in a conflict with the powers of darkness. Instead of strengthening their faith, how? By prayer and meditation on whose words? On Christ's words. They had been dwelling on their what? Their discouragements and personal grievances. In this state of darkness, they had undertaken the conflict uh, with Satan. And this is why they failed. So, the nine could have seen the demon cast out of the boy if they had overcome their unbelief. But there was enough unbelief that they couldn't fully sympathize with Christ. The word sympathy comes from two words. Sim, which means together. And pathos, which means feeling. They, because of a certain amount of unbelief, they couldn't quite feel together with Jesus about people and about the word. But as we pray more and we're in closer community with Christ, communion with Christ, we begin to feel about people and about the work as he does. But as long as there's a certain amount of unbelief, we will kind of carelessly go through the work. doesn't mean we don't work, but it won't be quite like it could be if we had 100% faith in him. Does that sound right? And so what the devil wants you to do is instead of focusing on believing in his availability and his ability, he wants you to think about your, the things that bring discouragement. He wants you to think about things that are grievances amongst yourself. Because in that state, who wins? The devil wins. Isn't that something? There's something more important in our differences and our grievances. And that is a focus on Christ and the work that he's doing, where he's always available and he's always able. Okay? Notice this. This is why we really have to pray more. Satan is the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God how often? What a terrible existence. He leaves his high position in heaven not knowing this was the exact outcome. But he was in the presence of God for who knows how long. Praising God, leading the heavenly choir, and now look what his job is. Wow. Spending all day, all night just accusing people of the things they do wrong. That's terrible. That's a real sick mind. But Jesus is just the opposite. Jesus, instead of thinking about our faults, Jesus ever liveth to make what? Intercession for us 
so that we can overcome these problems. What a contrast. And the universe saw that at Calvary, didn't they? Jesus said, for he shall, he said, I will never what? I will never leave you. I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Because I'm always available and I'm always able. He is our high priest who intercedes for us, ever lives to intercede for us. Jesus would say to Simon Peter, Indeed, Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I've done what? I've prayed for you, that your faith shall not fail. Because Jesus believed in the power of of prayer. Hmm. Wow, yes, that's right. And this is why, because Satan is accusing us day and night, and Jesus is always available, always able, that men ought to what? But they ought always to pray. That's just logical. If the devil's always on your path, getting to trip you up, but Jesus is always there to help you, then men ought always to pray. This is just logical. But notice this beautiful statement. It doesn't mean you have to be on your knees all the time. We may commune with God where? In our hearts. We may talk in companionship with Christ. When engaged in our daily labor, we may breathe out our heart's desire, inaudible to any human ear. But that word cannot die away into silence, nor can it be lost. Nothing can drown the soul's desire. It rises above the din of the street, above the noise of machinery. You and I can pray unceasingly by, you don't even have to say a word. It's just as you're going about your daily business, you are thankful to God because you know the devil is an accuser day and night. But you know Jesus is always available, always able. And so even while you work, your heart can go out to Jesus without even saying the words. And then he'll take that not spotless thought, but he's going to take it and he's going to beautify it. And he's going to purify it. And he's going to present it to the Father. Because Jesus is your prayer partner. In our high-tech world, we are getting more and more automated calls. You get more calls? You ever got one of these recently? Please hold. A representative will be with you shortly. Your call will be taken in the order that it's been given. The estimate of your call is 45 minutes. Have you ever sat on the phone for 45 minutes wondering if someone was ever going to pick up the other end? Doesn't 45 minutes seem like an eternity, friends? Now imagine if you're praying to heaven. You would never get an answer, please hold. We're getting an unusual number of calls today. Heaven is always available. It is always available able, no matter how many people are praying. And when we lose every earthly right, the prayers of the saints will probably ascend even more. But you'll never get the answer, please hold. Hmm. Don't you love it once you do get a hold of a person? 
and they take care of your problem, and then they say these precious words. Sir, is there anything else I could do to assist you? <laughs> Isn't that precious? And, and the only time they ever ask you that is when you don't have anything else for them to do, right? But it's just nice to know, because heaven is really kind of like that, though, isn't it? Is there anything else, Jeff? Is there anything else I can help you with right now? You know? If Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, then Jesus ever lives to what? To pray. This one logically follows up. If Jesus is to save us to the uttermost, to provide continuous salvation, then it is necessary for him to make continuous intercession. Is that right? If Jesus lives to continuously make intercession for us, then we always have an opportunity to commune with him in prayer. That's just logic, isn't it? So Jesus is your prayer partner how often? Actually, all the time. He's always available. It's a wonderful thing that we can pray effectually, that unworthy, erring mortals possess the power of offering their request to who? I want you to think about that for a moment. You're praying to God, okay? What higher power can man desire than this? To be linked with the infinite God. Feeble, sinful man has the privilege of speaking to his maker. We may utter words that reach the throne of the monarch of the universe. We may speak with Jesus as we walk by the way, and he says, I am at thy right hand. Friends, the privilege of prayer. Wouldn't you love to be able to meet some diplomat or someone that you kind of think highly of and that's human? But this is the monarch of the universe, isn't it? We may pray for a blessing. That's what we often do. We pray for a blessing to be forgiven. But prayer itself is a blessing. Whether you ask for anything or not, communion with God is the blessing. Isn't it right? The prayer is the blessing. If, Jesus, if prayer is a blessing and prayer is communion with Jesus, then communion with Jesus is ultimately what? That actually is the blessing, no matter what you're asking for or whether you're asking anything or not. Prayer itself becomes the blessing instead of only seeing it as an avenue to receive a blessing. Enjoying the blessing of communion with the Son of Righteousness is like a flower welcoming the morning sun. Here, like sunflower seeds. Isn't that wonderful, the sunflowers? We should strive to enjoy Jesus more than the flowers enjoy the sun. The sun, the flowers enjoy the sun, like they almost like worship the sun, don't they? Huh? Oh, they, yes, right. And walk in love. Oh, okay, so I think there's two more slides here. Our prayer commitment. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us a what? An offering and a sacrifice to God for a... This is what really makes our prayers smell so pleasing to God. That Jesus can take our, not spotless prayers, but he, he puts them in the incense of his merits, which is really an expression of his, his character and his love. 
Because when you look at the verse, the verse is about how he loved us. This is why he gave himself. And this is what makes our prayers smell so beautiful to the Father. Therefore, all my prayers should be based on love. Father, as I pray this prayer, is it imbued with love? Is it based on love? My love for you. My love for this person or that person, right? Now, thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. We are unto God a sweet what? Savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Now, the context of that is that we become a sweet savor of Christ as we make his knowledge known to the world. Isn't that how it reads to you, too? How do we smell so beautiful to God throughout the day? Is it by speculating? Our theories, our ideas. It's God's knowledge. You study the Bible every day to sweeten the atmosphere of earth with a knowledge of God. A knowledge of what God is like and what he believes. Is this right? Is that how it reads? Now, and our last one is our prayerful community. Ye also, plural, as living stones, plural, are built up a spiritual house, the church, a holy priesthood as we commune with Christ in prayers, our high priest, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So while God wants us to be a prayer partner with his son Jesus, he's actually looking for a church that prays this way. Not just an individual here and there, but he's putting together a spiritual house that is some spiritual sacrifice, which minds you of the incense going up. And what that incense is, is the prayers of the saints based on the merits of Christ, that there is a community of believers who've prayed more collectively than any group of saints that there's ever been. And when you think about us living at a time as there's never been, and you think about the importance now, how much of prayer, his availability, his ability, this is the time that we should expect that God would have a church on planet Earth that doesn't pray less, but prays, prays more based on the merits of Jesus Christ. Not praying for little things. Expecting bigger things to happen because time is, is short and big things need to happen. But it all begins in our closet. Isn't that right? So may the Lord bless each one of us as we review our communion time with God and want to bring more pleasing to the Father through more, more prayer. Before we have our closing uh, prayer, we have our closing hymn number...
487. 